harmony with your will, Lord. I, I pray that it would be um, your scriptures that I'm unpacking and your word that I'm sharing with folks and, and not my opinion, Lord. I, I pray that you'd steer me away from the, the desire to say uh, what God meant to say here and instead say you know, what the Lord is telling us in this passage. Um, I pray for your grace on folks who are here, and I pray that they would come to know you uh, more and more through hearing your word preached. I pray that we would um, become more and more the body of Christ um, by knowing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When, uh, when I was in uh, Israel a few years ago, uh, I, my last day there, I, I had this weird plane schedule to get back to Montana. Uh, weirdly enough, there is not a direct flight from Tel Aviv to Great Falls. Um, I, I, I don't know why, um, but there isn't. And, and so I ended up um, having to kind of time myself out. And the guys that I was there with left late at night, like 10 o'clock at night they flew out, and I was asleep in the hotel, and in the morning I had to check out and between checkout time and my flight leaving, I had like a 10-hour gap, um, which is kind of awful, right? Hotels are nice for that. Um, but even then, I don't think I would have stayed in the hotel because, um, honestly, how often am I going to go to Israel? And so I figured I'm going to enjoy this as much as I possibly can. And in fact, actually, um, well, so I, I checked my gear, like my luggage, in at the hotel desk, and I just I walked around the city for eight hours straight. Eight hours. Um, first off, that is a lot of walking and my feet hurt. Uh, secondly, I, I had nowhere to go. You ever have that where you got nowhere to go but you want to go? And, and so I, I walked around. I walked to the beach and I walked down the beach and looked at the Mediterranean. And I walked to the old port in Jaffa and I looked at that. And that was pretty cool for like the 10th time I had seen it. And, and I found a comic book store, which was pretty neat. And I got some comic books written in Hebrew, which... Uh, isn't impressive to anybody but me, I guess, and bookstores and whatnot. But I wandered. I, I, everywhere I went, I was just like, well, which way should I go now? Well, I'll go that way. It's noisy over there. Let's see what's going on. Not the smartest idea in the Middle East, apparently, but uh, it worked out well for me. I, uh, I wandered through an open-air market, and I ate Turkish Delight, uh, which is candy, by the way. Don't. Um, I uh, went to... Um, I went to coffee shops. I mean, I, I literally just wandered around. And I'd come to a point, and I'd say, well, it doesn't look like I should go any further this way. I guess I'll go that way. And I'd just turn. And I wandered, and I wandered, and I wandered. And there were a couple of times I'd walk past something, and I'd think, that's like the fourth time I've walked past that. And then I got caught in the rain. And the awful thing was I had nowhere to go. And so wandered around in the rain. And I discovered that Tel Aviv's water system, like their drainage system, is almost, well, no, it's worse than Big Sandy's. Um, and I, I found myself knee-deep in water at one point um, with things floating by me. I was crazy, but I wandered and wandered and wandered. And at no point in time could I say, I am lost. You know why? I wasn't going anywhere. I, I literally had nowhere to go. Um, and I, I was thinking this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 25. This is going somewhere. I'm not just talking. Um, but this morning there was this line from uh, uh, Lewis Carroll. Uh, this is in Alice in Wonderland, where Alice is wandering around in Wonderland. And actually, if you read the book, the book is nonsense, right? It's a great book. I read it to my daughter when she was a kid. 
or when she was a baby, not when she was a kid. She's still a kid. She'll always be a kid. I don't care what anybody says. Um, but this line in Alice in Wonderland where um, Alice is talking to the Cheshire Cat, and she says, would you, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. Um, the idea, and it's actually the way the plot of Alice in Wonderland goes, um, if you're not going anywhere in particular, you can walk around forever and you're not going to get lost. There's no right way to go if you don't have a place to go. Does that make sense? Um, and if you walk long enough, you're going to end up somewhere. The problem is a lot of times if you walk long enough in the wrong direction, you'll end up somewhere you didn't intend to be. Does that make sense? Um, I, I remember in Tel Aviv there was a moment I looked around and I realized I'd wandered into a neighborhood I didn't want to be in. And I, I thought about it long and hard, and I tried to figure out the fastest way to get out of that neighborhood. Um, but I did get somewhere, right? Like I picked a direction and walked, and eventually I got somewhere, but it's not where I wanted to be. Um, in Psalm 25, we're going to be talking about direction, and we're going to talk about path quite a bit. And we're going to talk about how God leads us and how God guides us and how God moves us through like the different moments of our lives and the different events and the way that God guides us in those paths. And I'm going to suggest as we go into this that there are a lot of folks, a lot of folks in general, right, but a lot of Christians, a lot of people who, who claim to be Christians who are walking in a direction, but they're not walking anywhere in particular. And as a result, they end up places they didn't intend to end up that have nothing to do with what they say they want or what they sort of think they want because they're not following the directions. So we're going to jump into Psalm 25, but real quick, as a literary genre, Psalms are sort of people expressing their emotions and their feelings and their strong heart urges, right? And God speaking to them through them. And so they're unique in that they can speak to us in a way that nothing else does in the scriptures. Like we can relate to the Psalms in a powerful way. Um, this particular Psalm is a poem. Um, it's called an acrostic poem. An acrostic is where um, the letters of the alphabet, not the English alphabet, right? Because no matter what anybody says, King James English was not what this was written in. This would be the Hebrew alphabet, um, are the first letter of each line, right? So the first letter begins with, or the first word begins with the letter A or Aleph, right? I know, I can... I can speak the alphabet. Not much more than that, but I nothing out of you, John. Um, and then it's Bet, and then Dalit, I think, and then um, so forth. And so, like, the structure of this poem is weird um, because the writer has to make it fit the alphabet. Um, why would you do that? Because this was something you were supposed to memorize. Isn't that weird? Like, why would you memorize this? Well, first off, because most people didn't carry around paper because it was unbelievably expensive. A book might cost more than a couple of cars, okay? A town might have a book. Um, it was incredibly expensive, and so you would memorize it. But in particular, this is one you would memorize because this is like a life verse. I, I hate that phrase, right? I hate it, but it is what it is. 
It is a thing that you would repeat to yourself as a reminder of what's important. Okay? Um, I've talked a little bit about how all of these psalms in the last since 20 fit together, and this one fits sort of. Um, and we'll get to that. Um, but we'll start off the text since I'm like quarter to 11 and I really got to get my, get my wheels moving here. Um, in you, my Lord, or excuse me, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Those are the first three verses. And I'm reading these in chunks as they sort of work thematically. I'm doing my best with it. Um, I'm going to back up to one and two here. Um, in you, my Lord, my God, I put my trust. Um, the idea behind this is, and like some, like the ESV phrases this differently, um, where it says, um, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, right? Now that might sound a little familiar because in the preceding Psalm, there's that line where he's talking about pagans and he says, these guys are lifting their souls up to idols. Or if you, the literal translation, they're lifting their souls up to nothing, Meaning that there is this whole group of people who, instead of worshiping God, are picking out something and saying, this is the most important thing in the entire world, right? And they're lifting themselves up to it and living for it. Like, their very essence is pointed at it. And there are people who, that's success, right? Like, I need to have more money than anyone else. Or there are people who make, um, you know, I need to enjoy my life and enjoy everything around me because you only live once. Um, I didn't say it. Uh, so I have to live for that. But at the end of the day, what we discover is that's nothing. It, it's gone in a puff, right? It's gone in a breath. Um, you know, the, the, the ways that we feed ourselves sensually or eating too much or, or chasing after sex or pornography or, or money or whatever, all of it is a breath. All of it disappears because all of it is temporal is the word. Temporal, which is like temporary. It is of this world and ultimately will not last. Right? And so the contrast from 24 to 25, um, here the psalmist is saying, hey, I lift myself up to God. And that's what I trust in. Now that's powerful because, all right, real quick. Think on your hand. All right? You have five fingers. Well, most of you. Um, <laughs> We're a farm community, I know. <laughs> so you got you have five fingers. Think of the five most important things in your life, right? Now, if you think about this, the five most important things, they aren't just the things you say are the most important. They're the things you spend the most time on or the things that you spend the most money on or the things that you think about the most or the thing that you, like, orient your life around, right? Five things. And I'll give you about a half a second to do that. Take three away. If the last two things are things that can also be taken away, guess what? Those are temporal. What, God is, what the psalmist is talking about is saying, listen, the one thing I'm chasing after, the one thing that is my number one of my top five is God, is what God has for me. And I'm putting my trust in that, and I'm aiming my life at that. Um, I trust in you. And, like, so there's... 
the other thing with this first three verses, they're phrased in a way that like emphasizes absolute certainty. And so what he's saying is, if I pursue God, if I chase after him, if I live my life for this, it cannot, it will not, there is no way that I can be put to shame, that I can be thrown down, that I can like have everything taken from me ultimately. There is no way this can happen. It is, I am unassailable in this regard. And, and that's powerful, right? Um, particularly since Psalm 24, when he's talking about people lifting their lives up to nothing, that's a psalm about meeting God in the temple, like meeting God face to face, right? And so he's saying, listen, we go from, I, I'm looking to meet you face to face, God. I can only enter your presence if I'm righteous, and I can only be righteous if you say I'm righteous, not by my own actions. And now that I'm in your presence, I know as long as I hope in you, as long as I pursue you, as long as I live for you, I can't be taken away. I, I can't be put to shame. I cannot fail. Um, that little bit of white at the bottom is the miniature text that I was supposed to delete. It's on the next slide. So don't worry about it. Don't try to read it. Um, I can't even read it, to be honest with you. Uh, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Now watch this. I particularly like pick this direction because of this phrasing, and I think this phrasing is, is kind of it for this text. This is this major central idea. He's saying, God, show me your ways, right? Teach me where I'm supposed to go. Teach me how I'm supposed to walk. Um, I one time when I worked for the children's home and I was, I was chaplain, I took a group of guys from our rehab program. And so there's this group of, like, like um, recovering drug addicts. Oh, I have to move over. Apparently, I'm sticking my arm in the thing. Am I off camera yet? Oh, that might have been the goal, too. Um, <laughs> I'm getting the motion from the back. Nobody wants to see your face. Move over. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, we, we took this group of guys, they're all recovering addicts, and we went and we, this was in Indiana, and we went and we did this corn maze, right? In Indiana, corn grows pretty tall, and so, like, you get in the middle of it, and you can't necessarily see anything other than the corn. And so we're walking around this maze, and we were there for about an hour and a half, wandering blindly in this corn, right? And the thing was, and I figured this out about midway through, there was nowhere to go, Right? And, like, we ran into somebody who had a map of the corn, and they gave it to us so we weren't lost in the corn, but there wasn't really anywhere to go. I mean, there was a middle, but there was nothing there. It was just a field surrounded by corn, which is pretty much where everything else looked like. like but once we had a map, we could get someplace, right? And we had a way to get there, and we had a place to go. Um, following God, becoming this person that God intended you to be. First off, it's not required. It is not based on us following his ways, which is awesome. I can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's favor. If I throw a rock at Terry back there, once that rock leaves my hand, I can't call it back, right? Like once it's out of my hand, once I say a word, and I say this as a guy who stands in front of people and talks for a living, once that word's out of my mouth, I can wish as hard as I can, and I ain't unsaying what I said, right? Anybody ever do that? get into an argument with your wife and you say something really dumb and the first thing you say is, oh man, I wish I hadn't said that, but I'm in for a penny, in for a pound, right? Um, we are not saved 
by being perfect or by being holy or by being good or by being better than that guy or that guy or that guy. You will not show up in heaven and stand before judgment and say, God, this is how good I was. This is all the the homeless people I fed. And this is all the time I spit on the grass instead of in the road and all of the other things I did right. And God isn't going to look at all the good things you did. He's going to look at the rocks you threw and the words you said. And he's going to say, all right, well, this is what you're judged on. We're judged on our sins. The only way we overcome our sins is through Christ. Like God sent his son who died on the cross and is punished in our place. So when I throw a rock at Terry, um, I didn't say, (laughs) my aim is pretty bad. I might hit Marla. I mean, it is possible. Um, But if I throw a rock at Terry um, and I I do this evil thing, because nobody would throw rocks at Terry. He's such a nice guy. Um, That sin that I've committed is on me. But because I belong to Christ, Christ is punished in my place and I'm forgiven. Because Christ is my Lord, because I belong to him, every nasty thing I've said to my wife, he, he bore the weight of it. Every dirty thought I had, every jealousy, every anger, every time I didn't say the right thing or, you know, like was quiet because I was scared or whatever, like all of that stuff, he carried the weight of it, my every sin. And so after that, like having been saved, my job is to grow, right? Like, I'm saved. I ain't going to get any more saved, right? Like, I'm not going to get any more, like, like holy or, you know, like, like forgiven. Sorry, not holy. My job from here on out is to grow, is to become, is to become holy, is to become the person that God designed me to be, is to put away the old sinful, wicked Eric, and there's plenty of him, believe me, And grow to become who God wants me to be. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. He says, listen, you're my Savior. You have saved me. I am saved. And from here on out, it is me trying to grow to become the person I was meant to be. There's a really interesting thing here. Um, The show me your ways, teach me your paths. Part of the idea that's conveyed there is that God gives you the strength to do it. Because I'm awful. Anybody else? Just me? Like, (laughs) if you you give me a rule, the first ten things I'm going to think about it is, how do I get around that rule? Right? If there's a way to screw up, I'm going to find it. Right? Right? you know, it, I'm the guy in the in the Sermon on the Mount sermon, like where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Which one's my neighbor? And which one can I hate? Right? Like, that's me. And once I found out who I'm supposed to love, I'd probably still not love him. Because I'm, I'm going to fail in that. Um, show me your way, teach me your paths. The idea behind this, the idea that's inherent in this, is that God is giving us strength to do it. I cannot do it apart from his help, period. And so God imbues me with his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit sometimes grabs the wheel and says, hey, you're getting lost, let's turn this way. Um, There's another thing here that's real important. A lot of times I hear believers say, God, tell me what I'm supposed to do right now. You ever get that? What do I do right now? God, give me direction. And... If we know God's way, if we're familiar with his path, if we understand the walk we're supposed to walk, a lot of those things get answered, right? And so I remember I had a guy who was messing with me at work 
these two guys, actually, and they were trying to get me fired when I was a chaplain. And I talked to one of my spiritual guys, and I said, hey, can I pray and have, like, God step on them? Like, will that work? And he said, well, uh, you're praying for God, like, for them already, right? And I was like, well, no, they're jerks. <laughs> and he's like, well, why are you even asking them? Because that's what Jesus said you're supposed to do when people, like, persecute you. You're supposed to pray for them. Like, that's first. And if you're not doing that, like, you're just not doing the right thing. And then I back up and I think, oh, wait, that's that way I'm supposed to know to do. And that's the path I'm supposed to know to walk on. But I'm so thick in the head most of the time that I don't do it. And so I wander all over instead of walking the path I'm supposed to be on. I have a destination, and that destination is to be like Jesus. Uh, That destination is to grow spiritually and become who I was meant to be. Like I said, I'm not going to earn God's love. He already loves me. I'm not going to earn forgiveness. He's already forgiven me. I'm not going to earn heaven. I'm already going there. I'm becoming who God meant me to be. Um, so when we say guide me in your truth, like, like help me to be what I'm supposed to be, this is about knowing that I won't be put to shame if I continue to walk in this. If I continue to pursue God, if I continue to grow in this, I will not fail in that. Oh my gosh, I am just dying on time, guys. I am not sorry, but be aware, like, it's James's fault because he prayed too long. Um, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember my sins of youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Oh, I love this. Because, watch this. Remember and don't remember, right? And so remember, God, remember who you are, right? You love me and you're merciful. Remember that, God? And please forget who I am because I'm not good, right? Like, he's not standing before God and saying, hey, Lord, remember how awesome I am? I always think of the Pharisee and the sinner in the, in the temple. Like, Jesus tells that story. He's like, hey, a Pharisee goes in and he prays and he's like, Lord, thank you for making me me. Thank you that I'm not like other men, that I follow all these rules perfectly, and especially that I'm not like that guy over there, right? But, I mean, it's really easy to fall into. You hear worship, like you're singing, or you're listening to Eric talk, and the very first thing you hear that, like, sort of would step on your feet, right? You start thinking, who in the room really needs to hear this? Because I know I don't. Anybody do that? Boy, I really hope Jess is listening to this part because it is all about her. I don't ever preach anything all about Jess because I'm too afraid Um, (laughs) of her figuring out how much better she could have done. That's it. Um, So he says, don't remember my sin. Don't remember my rebellious ways. Like, according to your love, that's what I want you to remember me. That's how I want you to remember me. Really interesting thing here. Now watch this. Um, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love. Mercy and love. The phrase there is like the root of it is uterus. Isn't that weird? I wouldn't even have thought uterus was in the Bible. I sort of hoped it wasn't. Um, (laughs) But the weight of the phrase is like the way a mother thinks of the child in her belly is how I want you to think of me. I've never carried a child in my belly. I've looked that way a couple times. But I'm willing to wager the people who have done this, tell me if I'm wrong, guys, 
You love that baby. You love that flutter that reminds you that there's a little living thing inside you, right? You sort of hate that you can't drink coffee. But at the same time, you love the fact that you're bringing something into the world. That's the way saying, God, love me like I'm your unborn child. Love me like, like I'm before birth. Like Love me this way like a mother loves her kid. And don't remember my sin, but remember me that way. For you, O Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Now, really cool thing here. We're going to back up half a second. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 8 through 11 is exactly the same stuff, but he's talking about God. He's saying, listen, I need to learn your ways. I need to learn your paths. I need this. I need that. And then he says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Sound familiar? Ways, ways, right? Same phrase. It's a parallel. And it's a parallel saying, I need to know God's ways because he knows what's right. He is upright. He is good. And he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to those who keep his com- demands of his covenant. Now, at the time, watch this, there is this... Um, this idea, like this is Old Testament, this is before Jesus showed up and died for sinners and stuff like that. And like we look at that and we say, wait a minute, does that mean that I had to keep the demands of the covenant in order to be saved? No. People in the Old Testament were not saved according to the law because it's impossible, right? It is impossible to do God's law. It is. And it's impossible because, number one, it's really hard. <laughs> number two, not only is it really hard, I'm really bad, <laughs> And you're really bad. And I love you all. That's why I'm telling you this. You're not going to make God love you by being awesome. And so when they were saved in the Old Testament, you were saved not by being obedient to the law, but by believing that God promised salvation. You believed in Jesus before Jesus was Jesus. Does that make sense? Like, and faith in Christ in the promise that was coming. This is in the book of Hebrews, if you don't believe me. Um, Abraham believed in the promise and it was credited to him as righteousness. Believing the promise, believing in Christ before Christ was, is what saved you then. It's what saves us now, believing in Christ. And so keeping the demands of the covenant for us means, I have faith in Christ. He's my boss. He owns me, right? I belong to him. He bought me with his blood, like he died for me and bought me out of damnation, bought me out of slavery to my sin, bought me out of my wickedness, bought me out of my horrible ways, bought me, owns me, and I belong to him. And because I belong to him, because he loves me that much, that when I was awful, he bought me. I just have to believe in him and I'm saved. And then everything else is following him. And so why do I follow him? Because the Lord's ways are right. Because he is good. Because following him is the right way to live. It's how I was made to live. Um, It's a little like, sometimes I drive Swather for Larry. And every time, I joke about this behind his back so he's going to hear me say it. (laughs) Every time, every time, um, the first thing that we do when we go out to the Swather, before you put the key in, before you do anything else, you open the engine compartment and you check the oil. That engine has never lost oil ever. But we always check it no matter what because if you run it without oil, what's going to happen? Nothing but disaster, right? And so you always check it. 
And I appreciate, Larry, that I'm picking on you and you're not throwing things or shooting. Um, and so I, <laughs> later, I live according to God's teaching because it is the right thing to do. To do otherwise would be to run an engine without oil. To do otherwise would be to travel nowhere in particular, to wander around with no destination, right? And there are a lot of people that do it. I believe in God, and I'm going to live doing whatever I feel like, and whatever I feel like is going to get me where I'm going to end up. A lot of times it's not where we want to go. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, Verse 11 is a prayer. It's kind of the hinge point of the sermon, or the text. Uh, for For the sake of your name, Lord, Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Um, For the sake of your name, Lord. So God's name, like in the Old Testament, names meant something. Like Jacob's name was liar because he was a liar. (laughs) Like his name meant liar. Um, Abraham, his name means father of great nations because he was the father of great nations. Um, And so, God, because your name means what it means, because you are God, because you are God who provides, who saves, who delivers, who is holy, who is righteous, who is awesome, um, because you are who you are, um, for the sake of that truth about you, forgive me. Like, even though I've sinned, even though I've failed, even though I've screwed up, because you are who you are, forgive me. Who then are those, who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for he is the only one who will release my feet from the snare. Now watch this. It's really easy to read that and read it saying something that it doesn't. Watch this. He is not saying, if I just trust in God, I'll live my best life now. To quote something in particular, I don't remember what that is. Um, he is not saying, if you trust in God, he will give you your wildest dream. It's not Pedro, right? Vote for me and I'll give you your wild, and all your wildest dreams will come true. Believe in God and he'll pour money into your bank account. He'll give you a new car. Your marriage will be perfect. Your kids will be angels. I, I believe in God. I follow him. And I'm going to hear to tell you my bank account ain't usually full. And my kids are angels for about eight hours between nine o'clock at night. And and sometimes they're not angels then. (laughs) Um, In reality, like if you read this as saying, if I just believe in God, he'll give me everything I want. God is not a cosmic vending machine. Right? You're not throwing the quarter in and getting God's gumballs. It doesn't work that way. Believing in God does not guarantee you an easy life. It does not guarantee you blessing. It's easy to read that. But in reality, what he's promising is eternity. What he's promising is peace between me and him. My life now might be awful. Um, I, I always think of Peter when Peter goes to the cross. Like Peter, at the end of his life, he's been following Jesus for years. He's like the disciple that was like probably closest to Christ. He was the leader of the church. He was like, he wrote part of the New Testament. And he goes, and like the day before he's crucified, he watched his wife be crucified. And then they nailed him to the cross and hung him up upside down. So it would have been ten times more painful. And it was awful. Peter was not living his best life now. Paul, who lived homeless and hungry and beaten and in jail and everything else, did not have a fun life. Following Jesus does not guarantee us an easy life. And in fact, oftentimes it guarantees us difficulty. 
The reality is that the difficulty is good. Turn to me and be gracious, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. And so the psalmist says, listen, God, I know that you're going to take care of me. And we as believers know that this probably means heaven as much as anything else, right? But it also means peace. Because I'm going to tell you, when I go to bed at night and I think back to 15 years ago when I was drunk most of the time and I was nasty to everybody around me and I stole stuff and I was a horrible person, and there's this part of me that says, see who you are, God doesn't love you. I say, but Jesus died for me. And even if my life is on fire at the moment, I know Jesus loves me. And I know Jesus took me out of that pit, freed me from that snare, and has brought me into this mess. And I might be sitting in the valley. I might be in the valley of the shadow of death. It might be hot. It might be miserable. It might be dark and scary and everything else. But I know I'm saved and I'm at peace with God. And so, honestly, I haven't felt the misery that I felt back then since I belonged to Christ. Has my life always been easy? No. But I know I'm at peace with God. I know if I don't wake up tomorrow, I'm going to stand in his presence. I know there are people who are going with me because God has, despite my being horrible, he's used me to help. He's used me to share his word, and I'm blessed because of that. Not because I'm awesome, because I'm not, but because he is. And so the psalmist says, listen, take away my sins, God. I'm going through hell right now. Turn your face on me. Save me. Ultimately, this means salvation for all of us. Part of the distress he's talking about, by the way, is because of his sins, because he is, is, has rebelled. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. And so the psalmist ends and says, God, teach me to be the man you mean me to be. I'm going to suffer now, but I know if I walk after you, I will grow holier. I know that I am saved because you are my Savior. And he ends with, God, save me. I'm here to tell you, if you're in that spot where the world is broken, where everything is hopeless and pointless, and you don't know why you're getting up in the morning, or you don't know where you're going, or you're wandering around the city, and like your feet hurt because you've been walking for six hours, there's a destination. For me, it was an airplane home, right? For all of us, it is a trip home to be with the Lord. The only hope that we have in life and in death is that we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we can say, guard my life, Lord, because I know Christ died for me. Preserve my way. And my challenge for you guys today, because I always end with a challenge, is to look at your life and say, am I walking in the path? Or am I doing my own thing? Am I wandering? Or am I going where God means me to go? Am I asking for, you know, blinking signs every day, or am I learning the way I'm supposed to walk and following that path, right? Because following the path that God lays out for me is more important than anything else. Becoming who he meant me to be will teach me to go where I'm supposed to go. Um, I don't need a blinking light. I have the word. 
Sometimes I need to be yelled at. Sometimes God trips me up and says, Eric, pay attention. Sometimes I get to see miracles, and that's awesome. Um, But most of all, I need to learn to be who God means me to be. I need to head in the direction he has me going. Are you doing that? Are you pursuing holiness? Are you growing spiritually? Are you reading the word? Are you trying to pray and love folks that are horrible and unlovable? Are you um, trying to turn away from sensuality and like, like not pour yourself into this world? Or are you, are you just you know, flopping around like a pig in the slop? Like, What are you doing with your life, guys? We're saved for salvation. We're saved to belong to God. Let's close in prayer and I'll let you go. I know I'm long, but again, James's fault. Take it up with him. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that you would bless the fathers who are here today. And I pray that, Lord, we as fathers would live lives that are examples to our sons and to our daughters, um, that we would show them the paths of righteousness that you want us to walk on. Help us to be the folks that, that are like the, the map to knowing Christ, to knowing you. Help us to be people who are righteous in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Sunday, guys.